If you have not been with us lately, or maybe this is your first time, then you need to know that we're in the New Testament book of Colossians. And we are closing in on the end of this letter. Today, after I get through some introductory stuff, we'll be zooming in on chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. So hang in there. I'm going to do a flyby of pretty much the whole book. Don't worry, it won't take that long. And then we'll be in chapter 4 before you know it. So we were reminded last week that Paul is writing this letter from prison. And of course, that's no good for Paul. But Paul is the kind of guy who always sees the glass as half full. He's asking people to pray for him. But what's really interesting is that he's not actually asking for prayers that he would get out of prison. Instead, he's asking that while he's in prison, God might use that situation for something good. You see, Paul knows that he's going to have opportunity to be able to speak to other prisoners, maybe a jailer, a secretary, certainly a judge. And he knows that that those people need to hear the gospel. Just like he once did, they really, really need to hear the good news that they don't have to be afraid of death that God has forgiven their sins, and he did that in the person of Jesus. And not only do they not have to fear death, they also are promised that they can have a life that's full of purpose, purpose and joy and satisfaction right now in the midst of their circumstances, whatever those circumstances might be. So they also, like Paul, can have this relationship with God that's full, that's real, because he's knowable and he's trustworthy, and he's a friend, and he's a counselor. Paul wants those people that he interacts with to know all of this. So around here, the language that we would use is that Paul was on mission. And so um, he was a missionary. Many of you know this, that he spent his life after he was saved traveling around, going from town to town, telling other people about Jesus. He was doing that. He was speaking in synagogues, which were kind of like church buildings, other public venues. But when he was arrested and thrown in jail for preaching the gospel, he didn't stop being on mission because he understood that no matter where he went, what he was doing, that God's priorities were really actually the most important ones. And here's what I mean by that. Paul probably did not want to be in prison. Getting out was probably on his list of priorities, maybe even like number one, get out of prison. Check. It might have been number one for you and me, but here's what he was willing to do. He was willing to submit his priorities, even the most important, to the priorities of the Lord. So he's not saying, I've got to get out of prison. He's saying, God, I trust you with this situation. I know that you're in control of things. And so what I'm looking for here is for you to do something here that's good for your glory. So, backing up quite a bit further, you might remember that in chapter 1 of this letter, these are verses 9 through 12, Paul said this, We have not ceased to pray for you, the Colossians, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. 
Paul went on to say in chapter 1 that we have actually been delivered from the power and pull of things in this world, and we've been given a new life in the kingdom of Jesus. Paul tells us that He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, that He's our Creator, that He's our Sustainer, and He's the one who has forgiven our sins. And he goes on further to say that believers have Christ. And this is the mystery, he says, that has been hidden from all generations. That believers have Christ inside them. And that is our hope of actually being able to be like Jesus and then sharing in His glory. So in all of this letter, after chapter 1, Paul is telling the Colossians and us very specifically what it looks like to walk in that manner that is pleasing to Him, to have Christ live in us, to make us into new people, and then us to live that out in the world. In chapter 2, He warned against false teachers, those teachers who fail to see the outward religious routines and disciplines, that those things don't actually make us more holy. They don't make us more like Jesus. They have no power over the sin that is inside of us. He also warned against those false teachers who in their pride lead us astray. And we have these kinds of teachers today because they tell us that, um, that they've had special encounters with the Lord. But the, really what they're doing is they're failing to cling to Jesus who has been clearly and completely presented to us in the Scriptures. Paul also told us to put to death sexual immorality, jealousy, anger, lying, and instead to clothe ourselves with kindness and humility patience, forgiveness, and love toward one another. For this is how we preserve unity in this room with everyone who would call Redeemer home, by those things. Paul told us how husbands and wives can be and stay married, and I'm really glad I did not get that sermon. Um, Jeremy had to deal with that one. But yes, we learned how husbands and wives can have functional and life-giving relationships. He gave us instructions on being good dads and how children and employees can please the Lord by diligently following the leadership of the authority in their lives. Paul has told us to continue steadfastly in prayer, that we are to use prayer to navigate our lives and impact the lives of others. He's also called us to the habits of gratitude and praying for gospel teachers that they would be effective in their ministry. And that's where we left off last week. Now, I didn't hit everything, but these are just a handful of the highlights. All of these things, though, these are God's priorities for our lives. And today, Paul's going to add just one more. And it has to do with how we conduct ourselves toward non-Christians. And this, finally, is our text for today. This is Colossians 4, 5, and 6. It says this, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In verses 3 and 4, just prior to this, Paul asked the Colossians to pray for him, that he might have that opportunity that he wants so badly, and they might have the presence and clarity of mind to be able to speak the gospel to people while he's in prison. And now he's saying, you also, Colossians, you also are going to have opportunity to interact with people in your situation where you can have an opportunity to share the Lord. Our daily interactions, our relationships with unbelievers, they are opportunities for God to work 
through us, just like in Paul. There is absolutely no need for every person in this room to become a, mission, a missionary in the traditional sense. It's just, it's just not, it's not necessary because you can go to work and you can be a missionary. You can get up out of bed and you can change a diaper and you are a missionary. You can go to Thanksgiving dinner here in a couple of weeks and you will be a missionary, probably. If we follow the Lord's commands in these verses, we're going to have opportunities to partner with the living God. And what an opportunity that is to know that He is the one who is working right now in the lives of other people to draw them in to Himself. And He wants to use us as tools, as partners to see that through. He is drawing people in to experience that same forgiveness and joy, life-giving hope that you and I have already tasted and so now Paul is going to give us three pointers to help us create space for that. And also he's going to remind us how to keep motivated and how to stay focused. And we're going to start actually with the reminder. He tells us that we are to make the best use of the time. So I'm a parent and I'm an educator of children. And uh, I've learned some things along the way. One of those things in particular is that children are not born with an inherent sense of urgency to be on time. They have to be taught this. My three kids have gotten good at this over the years, um, but when they were younger, I would say something like this. I'd say, okay, we've got 30 minutes. you got to be at school. I need you to get ready. And so when they're, when they're really little, you're helping them, you're, you're coaching them, you're doing a lot of this stuff for them, but as they get older, you're expecting them to be able to do a lot of it on their own. And so, you know, you tell them specifically, get up. Eat, breakfast, brush your teeth, okay? find your shoes, put on your backpack. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe it was different for, for you, uh, but for Mary Grace and I, you would think that I was instead saying, go play with Legos. Play Monopoly, start a game of Monopoly, or um, start a fight with your sister. I would say, here are the things that you need to do to get ready, and they would not do those things. They would do something completely different. But here's why they would do that. It's because they had different priorities than mom and dad. Isn't that what it is? I've got a priority. Here's what I need you to do because here's the time that we have. But they don't care about that. And that's okay. They're, they're, in their sweet little minds, they feel like they have all eternity to do whatever it is that they want to do. And so we had to teach them, we had to train them and coach them to adopt mom and dad's priority and then to operate within that given time frame. 30 minutes, okay? Be ready. But so it is with all Christians. The Lord is telling us that we need to be adopting His priority and we have to pay attention to the time. Ephesians 2.10 says this, it says that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Matthew 25 records a parable that Jesus tells, and it's the parable of the talents. In that parable, Jesus tells a story, and it's of a man who's going on a journey, and while he's away, he gives his servants money, and he says, here, go and do business, grow the business while I'm away, and I'll be back. And so when he returns, he's asking them, all right, I've given you time, I've given you money, resources. What did you do? What do you have to show that you, 
used your time well and you produced something for the business. When Paul says that we're to be making the best use of the time, this is what he has in mind. Jesus is gone for now, but he will be returning a second time. Until that happens, you and I have work to do. But if we're honest with ourselves, we know why Jesus tells that parable. He tells it because we're just like my kids and probably your kids too. We are prone to forget what is important. It's because we know that you and I get preoccupied with other things. So in the mornings, I tell Gabe, my middle child, I tell him, go feed the animals and then get in the truck. I've said that many times, having PTSD right now. Get in the truck. It is time to go. But when he doesn't come outside in the amount of time that it should take, all right, to, you know, feed him water the dog, feed him water the cats, I know where he is, okay? Gabe is in the garage and he's playing with the kittens. All right, we have, we have five kittens, and uh, they're, they're great. I love cats now. Um, don't hold that against me. Um, but he's in the garage, and what he likes to do is he likes to try and pick up all of them at once, like this. And he's trying to hold all kittens, but kittens don't like to be piled and stacked on top of one another, or really just held in general, so he's not really very good at it, but he likes to try. But what's funny is that um, we're a lot like that. We have a lot of things that we're trying to manage and juggle. A lot of those things are, most of those things are good things. They're legitimate things. They're things that we enjoy or they're the responsibilities that we legitimately have. But we get distracted and we forget what is actually important. But Paul is saying, look, do those things that you have to do. You're going to have to go to work. You're going to have to raise children. You're going to need to rest. And that means doing some things that are fun. But while you do those things, you have to make the most of your opportunities. He says, pay attention to the time. Your time is limited, and you only have so much of it to do what Jesus has called you to do. So whether Jesus returns in our lifetime, and he might, or whether we die soon or at a ripe old age, whenever that is, our time is limited. Our time is limited to do the thing that God has asked us to do. And look, we all want to hear him say, every Christian in this room wants to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so this morning, he's just reminding us, keep focused on what's important. So, um, there might be some people now on your mind who are in your life who you know need the Lord. And that might be a family member or a co-worker, a friend or neighbor. Paul's going to tell us three very specific things to help us lay that groundwork that we might be able to have a conversation or multiple conversations with people about Jesus. Here, here are the three things. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. He says, let your speech always be gracious and let your speech be seasoned with salt. And we'll take those one at a time. And we'll go in that order. The first thing, he says, walk in wisdom. And this is such a broad statement. And if you read it and you really think about it, you're probably thinking it's not even actually all that helpful because... Walk in wisdom. What does that even mean? Well, the reason why it's tricky is because wisdom is such a highly situational thing that as you think about all of these different circumstances with people who are in your family, employees, neighbors, friends, all the dynamics are completely different. Your relationship with your parents is different than that of your next-door neighbor. 
Your relationship with your boss is different than that of your friend that you hang out with on the weekend. In some of those situations, you're in a position of authority. In some of those situations, they're in a position over you. And in some, it's just pure relationship. In some of those relationships, there's baggage. There's things that, there's history there that you have to take into consideration. Having sufficient wisdom for all of those different kinds of scenarios, it requires more time and space than what Paul can give or wants to give in this letter. Goodness, it's like somebody needs to write a book on wisdom. If only somebody had done that. Um, but yes, someone did. Proverbs is an Old Testament book, and the whole thing is a book about wisdom. And it has so many wonderful different practical steps, guidelines of just how we can operate in the flow of daily life. But it's only valuable to us if we actually read it. Now, we don't have time to read the whole thing tonight, this morning, and there's no way that we could actually absorb all of it. It's, it's, a, it's a slow go. You really have to take it a little bit at a time because the depth is so immense. But we are going to look at a few specific proverbs that I think that can speak into these situations. And so uh, we'll start with a couple that, that might relate to work um, or absolutely relate to work. Here's one, Proverbs 18.9. It says this, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Few things will kill your relationship, your ability to witness to your coworkers, than if you're not holding up your end of the bargain, if you're not pulling your weight at work. That will crush your witness. Proverbs 17.9 Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. If you exist in a workplace, there's a really good chance that there's some drama. As a believer, it is your job to stay out of it. Don't gossip. Don't choose sides. Because if you get involved in that, what's happening is now you're building, out what wall, you're building up walls with one group or the other that will prevent you from being able to share the gospel. Proverbs can also help us with our friends and our neighbors. 25.17 says this, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Isn't that incredibly practical? Like, in our day and age, we would say, don't wear out your welcome, and it's a thing. All right, you can do that. It's possible. Okay? Um, Proverbs 17.17, 17, A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. Being a good friend, a good neighbor, it means that you're there when you're needed. Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud... I tell my kids this a lot. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Okay? Good morning, Dad! I love that. Um, but here's the message. Be considerate. On your street, if you live on a street where people take care of their lawn, you've got to take care of your suit. Okay? Um, don't drive too fast down the road, especially if they have little kids. Don't play loud music at night. It's just being considerate because they are taking notes just like you. And if you've offended in some of these just very obvious ways, it makes it more difficult to be able to talk about spiritual things because they have something against you. 
Here's a couple that might be helpful here in a couple of weeks when you're at Thanksgiving dinner. Proverbs 29.9 says this, If a man or woman has an argument with a fool, the fool only laughs and rages, and there is no quiet. In other words, don't get dragged into an argument with someone who is incapable of seeing the world through your biblical lens. Let me say that again. Don't get dragged into an argument with someone who is incapable of seeing the world through your biblical lens. You have to be the one to choose and keep peace. It is not important if we're shown to be right, and you know that it's especially damaging if you're seeking that in the presence of the whole family, that you're trying to be shown to be right, because even in your family, people will choose sides. And then what have you done? You've limited your ability to be able to share the gospel with someone who may desperately need to hear it. Proverbs 22.3 says this, The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. That is applicable in so many situations, but I want to talk about one in regards to family. In our gospel community group lately, um, we spent a lot of time talking about difficult family situations, just cycles of dysfunction. We all have them. They exist in every family. But we spent a lot of time talking about those, kind of gearing up for the holidays. It seems like this just happens every year because it's just a hard time. But what we're talking about most recently is just this idea of setting up clear boundaries, that we're just not going to keep running into these painful situations. And it doesn't mean that you're cutting people out of your life, but it does mean that you're saying, hey, I know this is a pattern, and I'm going to set some boundaries here that are clear and respectful and healthy so that we don't have to continue this cycle of dysfunction. And that is a good thing. And it does not have to be permanently damaging to relationships. It may be rocky in the beginning, but at the end of the day, if you're clear and you're loving and respectful, what ends up happening is people have more respect for you and you've actually laid groundwork because you are showing yourself to be someone who um, is following the Lord and trusting Him and you're seeing that the Word is actually working in your life and now you can handle a situation like an adult. In the Scriptures, we also have a letter written by James. And it's kind, of, it's kind of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. James also has something to say about wisdom. He tells us in chapter 1-5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all and without reproach. If you need wisdom for a particular situation, and by now you are probably honed in on that thing, okay? Pray. Ask the Lord, invite Him into that situation and ask Him for wisdom. He gives to all generously and without reproach, which means He's not saying, gosh, you had to come to me. He's not saying that. He loves it when His children come to Him, just like we love it when our children come to us with difficult things and they want us to speak into those things. We are proud of our kids when they do that and God is pleased and proud of you when you bring these things to Him. The other thing, um, just more practical advice. Um, you need to make a habit, I need to make a habit of being around other people who have walked with Jesus for a long time. Here at Redeemer, we do that primarily through gospel community groups. They meet um, 
once a week on various nights throughout the week. If you've got questions about those, you can ask me. Feel free always to message or, or call Jeremy or grab any one of our other leaders. Um, but I tell you what, it is so valuable to have someone who's walked with Jesus. And believe it or not, um, there are adults in this room and who are not here today who actually have learned from their mistakes. And I, we, would be so happy to just tell you about how the Lord worked in spite of my foolishness and then be able to help you be able to navigate these situations. In RGC, we, um, we have had people in RGC who are further along with us that have already raised kids and dealt with these difficult family, family things. And they have spoken into me and Mary Grace, and it has been so helpful. Um, and so it is just wise to surround yourself by people who have walked with the Lord and can give you counsel on these matters. And also, it's just helpful to know that, hey, I'm not the only one who's dealt with this. And, you know, maybe I am part of the problem. Actually, most often I am part of the problem. But at least I know that someone else has been part of the problem and they figured it out because the Lord was faithful. Okay? Um, and probably now it's a, it, it's a good time just to say this. You and I have all failed when it comes to executing God's priorities and being wise with family. We've all got mistakes that, that we could look back and say, hey, I, did, I made mistakes with my family. I made mistakes with my coworker or my friend. I didn't take advantage of the opportunity. I didn't make good use of the time. I was a fool here. Lord knows I have been there, and I'm guessing most of us could all have that, a story or two. We need to all remind ourselves this morning of Romans 8.1, which says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not a single ounce of it. There is only the gentle call of a loving master who says, Get up and be obedient to me today. Walk in the newness of life that I have given you and be obedient to me today. Okay, just a couple of a uh, couple more big ideas from these verses. This won't take long. We'll be out of here by 1.30 for sure. Um, I used to live in the Dallas area, and uh, since moving here to Pampa, I've realized that there's something that's both really, really great and also very dangerous about living in a small town. And it's the lack of anonymity. Whenever um, you're on the highway, you know, in Frisco, you're on the tollway, somebody can cut you off and then you can pull up alongside them and, you know, give them a gesture or, you know, I don't know, glare or flash a gang sign, whatever that might be. You know, just, just, just communicate to them how terrible they are and what they should not have done to you. You know, just, just stick it to them. You can do that and you are probably never, ever going to see that sorry sucker ever again. But if you're on the road to Amarillo and you do that, that sorry sucker might be your kid's baseball coach. And then it's like, oh, goodness. So here's, here's what I'm saying. It is, that's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's okay um, to be that guy just because you live in a big city. Okay, I'm not saying that. But I am saying this, that his call for us, and this is verse 6, to always be graceful in our speech. It's especially important for us here in a small town because of the close-knit nature of our relationships, our community. We just, we just know somebody. You can't go anywhere without seeing someone that you know or seeing some that, someone that you know is relative. Um, listen, there's going to be a time, and you're probably thinking something recently, when you wanted to give somebody a piece of your mind, 
there's going to be a teacher, a coach, a repairman, a nurse, whatever, um, a restaurant worker, and they're not going to do their job well. And it's going to affect you. Okay? And maybe they don't do their job at all. Or maybe they just flat out sin against you. And your gut reaction, like mine is and has been, is going to be to tell them what you think about them. Right? You want to be a justice warrior. You want to put them in their place. And if I haven't already expressed this enough, this is an area in which I have been far from perfect. And so I can tell you from experience that getting angry is very seldom actually beneficial. It usually doesn't improve the situation. And here's why. Because it's a fool's errand to expect unbelievers to act like Christians. If you have certain standards because you're a believer, how dare we expect someone who's not a believer to act accordingly? They're not a believer. They're not submitting their lives to the Lord. And by the way, you and I are not, were not, have not been perfect either. And so, you know, the other thing is, even if you end up getting your way in a situation because you were angry and you kind of twisted and pushed and now you got what you wanted, what is the cost? Because I've experienced this in this room. What happens when that person walks in the door on Sunday morning and they see you and now they have this thing against you and potentially against our whole community because they associate you with Redeemer and then potentially even with the Lord. And so it is so important that we're gracious all the time. That's why Paul says always that we're always gracious. Listen, it doesn't mean um, that we don't expect people to fulfill their obligations. There's often channels and ways to handle things. If someone sins against you, if someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do, you know, or a parent doesn't, doesn't show up or whatever, there's ways to handle it. But we always must be gracious. That's what Paul says. We handle it graciously in our speech. And honestly, sometimes it's better sometimes just to be wrong. Because if we are just wronged and we let it go and we forgive, aren't we now acting like our Savior? Right? We too once were enemies against the Lord. That at our worst, that He loved and forgave us anyway. And so because that has been extended to us, because Christ died even when we were against Him, now we have the ability to forgive those who sin against us. And think about the groundwork that that lays. Now what if that person walks in? They don't have anything against you. When they, were on the, when they had their worst day and they made a bad decision or were just, just being dumb, you didn't, you didn't come back at them like what would normally happen. Instead, you were just gracious. And now when they come in, they've already had a pre-taste of what God's church and what the, what the Lord is all about, and that's forgiving sinners. Remember the gospel. It's what we cling to. This is Romans 5.8. God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because we've received that, we can give it. Finally, Paul tells us that our speech is to be seasoned with salt. The idea here is that when we're talking about spiritual things, we're avoiding Christianese. We're speaking in a way that's not cliche and it's not deaf to the perspective or struggles of our listener. 
Okay? Um, we're only able to really do this if we've got two things in mind, or really if two things are in order in our life. Okay? And here's the first one. If we're going to speak to people in a life-giving way when it comes to spiritual things, it's not just making people the project and just trying to just hit them over the head with the Bible. If we're going to do that well, we have to have a relationship with the Lord that is daily, that is healthy, that is thriving. Jesus would say, stay connected to me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If that's our relationship daily with the Lord, Look, if we're taking our struggles to the Lord daily and we're seeing Him provide, if we're submitting ourselves to the Word, the word because we're reading it and we're seeing it impact our lives, it then becomes very easy to be able to talk about spiritual things. It just happens because it's real to you. It's not just something that way out over there. It's deeply personal. And what Jesus has done for us is, in fact, He's deeply personal. And what He does for us daily to provide and sustain is deeply personal as long as we're walking in it and connected to Him. The second thing that we have to have in order is we, we really have to actually care about people. And that sometimes is a hard thing to do. And I think if we're honest, many of us would say, I don't have that much care for other people. I just kind of like to take care of me and mine. And, and look, that, okay, like that's honest. That is a great place to start. And I think that we all, to varying degrees, can feel that way, and I'm telling you right now that God does not hold that against you. But He does want you to become more like the Lord and to care more, and so we can ask for that. Did you know that that's a prayer that you can ask? Lord, will you help me to care more? And I guarantee you that's a prayer that He honors. So if we really care about people, if we see them as not projects, but we see them as human beings that we're, really, that we're actually willing to embrace as friends, then we're not going to need a script to tell them about Jesus. Because as, as we are friends with them and we're walking in and out of their struggles with them and we just know what's going on, you and I are going to know when to speak the gospel and when to talk about forgiveness. And when to give wise counsel that directs them to the Lord who is the giver of all. We're going to know. We're going to know. But you have to be walking with the Lord and you have to actually be walking and caring about people. Then those things can happen. Just to close out, these are those, those two verses one more time. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay, I'm going to pray, and uh, the band is going to come up, and uh, we're going to sing. If you would like to, to, to pray or talk with someone, there's going to be some men and women standing at the back wall. You can do that. Um, and so just speaking of you know, just people who've walked with Jesus, that's, that's who's going to be back there. So is there anything that you want um, to, to talk or pray about, please do that. Um, let, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that your word, it speaks to every situation. Amazingly, you have put together the scriptures that meet us at every turn. Lord, thank you for the, the opportunity to be able to sit beneath it, to learn from it. Lord, would you help us to heed it? Would you help us to answer that call? to walk more obediently to you.
Lord, we long to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Will you give us the power and the wisdom to do that? 